source of true delight, whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. The scripture reading for today comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. If you would take your pew Bibles, if you don't have your own with you, and turn to page 942 for the reading of God's word. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. The very word of God. Years ago when I was uh, small and I was, we were visiting my grandmother in West Texas, Roaring Springs, Texas, huge place, 200 people. (laughs) Um, But we got caught in a flash flood out there. I think I may have mentioned this before. And dad actually had to come through the flood to where we were and take us uh, through to safety. I want to use that as, though, a picture. I want to kind of have an imaginary picture to form some concept of what Christ has done for us. And then we're going to go into the study, as you see here. Um, the uh, Imagine 
we're in that flood situation and, and we're on a little island of land and this water's just streaming down and if we were to step out into it, it would just sweep us away and it's about to sweep us off the island. And let's suppose that my father somehow parachutes down onto this little island, okay? So he comes down into our situation. And that's the picture that we've been painting in the first point about how Christ comes into union with humanity's condition. And so my dad comes down right where we are on the island. And then imagine that he himself walks across the flood plain and he stands to safety over here. And he creates through walking through the... uh, floodplain, this stream that resists sin. In fact, it's, it's, it's like the, the flood doesn't exist there anymore. It, in fact, it's a cross stream flowing like this. And he stands on this side beckoning us to trust in what he has accomplished for us because he has opened up a way through the flood of sin and death. And the, the, the cross stream, let's say, is created by the strength and the life of my father. Okay? His life resides, in a sense, in that stream. And so, as we step into the stream, as we entrust ourselves, as we look to our father uh, who's standing across the way, and we entrust ourselves, look into him and his promise, his beckoning, his call to come to him, then we slip into that cross stream and it begins to carry us through, and we're protected. We're, we're no longer subject to sin and death. We're subject to a new world, a world created in the midst of sin and death, with a cross stream that is delivering us and bringing us ever faithfully and with strength to where He is. That's something of the picture that the New Testament paints of Christ coming into, not paints, but describes for us the the actual event that occurred, that Christ came in union with our situation. He entered into our death and condemnation and sin, and He broke the power of that and created uh, a means by which we ourselves can live in the new age, even in this age, that we can partake of the resurrection life even in the midst of the death of this life. And so I want to keep that picture in your minds. We'll come back to it several times uh, as we go through the, the study uh, that, as you see it here. Uh, this, this, uh, we're really just going to focus on verse 11, so this is not what's in the bulletin in terms of a title. I never got, I mean, I, I studied pretty thoroughly verses 12 through 14, and then I decided that we're going to camp on verse 11 again, because I think this is a concept that most of us are not living out in our lives. If, I think it's a concept that's hard for us to grasp, and so I want to underscore it again and try to give you some help in some practical ways to live out this verse 11. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And as I've said there, it's a self-assessment, a self-judgment 
a way we view ourselves and a way we believe in what God has accomplished for us. Even, even in this illustration, as we had to trust in what our Father had done for us and keep entrusting ourselves to that life that we experienced in the cross stream. So we entrust ourselves to Christ's resurrection life constantly, and we live a new life as a result of that. Well, Christ, first of all, in his death and resurrection, we must see it as his joining himself to humanity's condition. It really is a surprising surprise when you read verses 9 and 10, because it's describing Christ that death no longer has dominion over him and that he now uh, has died to sin once for all, that he now lives to God. And that's a strange way to describe this and it shows how closely he had associated himself, how joined to our situation that he became. He virtually came under the lordship of sin and death. That's the word there. He that death no longer has lordship over him, dominion over him. That's a strange thing to say, and we can only understand it in terms of his association with us. Or even that statement that he died to sin. We know we died to sin because we're not living in sin, or we're hoping not to live in sin like we did, but he didn't live in sin, but yet it says he died to sin. And it means that he was under the power and condemnation of sin, not of practicing sin, but so associated with our sin. As Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 5, he became sin on our behalf. And so he was under the power and condemnation and under the, uh, the dominion of death itself. And so he died. So that's how he entered into sin's dominion, sin's ownership. But now he died to that ownership. Sin no longer has a condemning death grip on him. He's gone from its clutches. And he will never die again. He will never be under its authority. He now lives to God with no association of sin whatsoever. Of course he lived to God. He never didn't live to God in that sense. But he's talking about the fact that now he is completely cut loose from sin. And now he lives completely only to the glory of God. And he opened up a new world of living to God for us as well. And so there, we have to see Christ's history painted here for us, you know. This story, this saga, this journey in which he owned our situation and so entered our condition, so identified with our broken and lost status and shared in that subordination to the power of sin and death that it could be said that death ruled over him. He was joined to the cement of death which drug him under the water to the bottom where he drowned. And then he broke loose and burst forth from the water, leaving death shattered at the bottom of the ocean. And it would become shattered for everyone who would trust in him. And one commentator says, his death marked the end of that age of sin that totally ruled the world. And now a new age of life has opened up. A new age of life in Christ Jesus. And perhaps you could picture it this way of sin, death, and condemnation be the, being the prison in which we lived 
And here were iron gates at the front of the prison. And, of course, there was no way that we could burst out of those gates. And, and Christ is like an armored 18-wheeler that is firing 100 miles an hour at those gates. And the gates just burst hundreds of feet and lie in the dust. And the, and the way is opened. That's kind of the picture uh, that's given to us of the, the shattering of death. And anyone who rests in Christ participates in everything he has accomplished. In union with him, we receive new life and we're we're transferred from the old lordship of sin and condemnation and death into the new lordship of Jesus Christ. And when it says that we must consider ourselves dead to sin, that mean, and, and later he says, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. That means sin was your Lord. You don't own sin. Sin owns you. As Jesus himself said, uh, he who uh, sins is a slave of sin. He's owned by sin. Sin is your Lord. And so Christ came under, in a sense, that Lord and broke through and brought us into life. And so now our uh, death and resurrection in union with Christ and all that he accomplished. And that's why he mentions baptism here. And baptism is really a, a shorthand for the whole conversion that occurs in a person's life. Uh, he only mentions baptism here in chapter 6. He, this is the first time he mentions it, the only time he mentions it. But he mentions faith some 50 times. He mentions the Spirit some 30 times in Romans. And that's what, of course, the transformation is all about, the Spirit working in us and us believing in Christ. But it's symbolized in baptism. And sometimes he'll talk about the whole process just by mentioning the symbol. And so he does here. But the, the picture is you are converted, you are baptized into the union with Christ Jesus. And so uh, the, the picture is that we have, if, if we're baptized, and he, he's basically saying, you know that you're baptized into union. As he says in Galatians 3, as many as, as you were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. So that was a regular understanding. Uh, baptism indicates my joining with Christ. And he's just following the logic of it and says, if you've been baptized into Christ then you've been baptized into death and burial and resurrection. You've been joined to all of that he has accomplished. And that brings you into newness of life. It brings you out from under the dominion of sin and into the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's why he can say in this passage, as we've read, the old man, the old life, is gone. It's rendered powerless. You are no longer enslaved to that life. That sin was crucified, and now you walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. You are freed from sin. And so we have a Lord, as we entrust ourselves to Him, He separates us from the powers and the forces of evil and sin that rule this world. It's the ending of bondage into the freedom of a new age only because of the dominion of Jesus Christ now that is exercised. I love this phrase. We are joined to the life of the ruler 
who is no longer threatened by sin and death himself. You know that Jesus is free of sin and death. And you are joined to him and united to this ruler who is no longer threatened by sin and death. And so we can be joined to his healing, transforming death and resurrection so that its virtue and its benefits and its power and its grace flows to us like a spring of water and supplies us. What a whole new situation. As I've been reading uh, recently about World War II, so naturally you're getting some illustrations from it. Before Hitler invaded Poland, September 1, uh, 1939, there were 3,300,000 Jews in Poland. 3,300,000. By the end of the war, the Germans had killed over 3 million of those Jews. They think something between 50 and 75,000 Jews were left in the whole country, in which there were over 3 million. 98%. Now imagine if you were in Poland during that and, and part of this extermination. If you could have been transferred out of Poland and your, your family and put in a stable, uh, insulated Jewish community in Chicago, Illinois. Think what that would have been to be brought out of this horrible dominion that would end in your death, to be brought into this place of safety and well-being. That's what Scripture says. You and I don't realize, as we should, the deliverance that's been brought about and a deliverance that costs the life of God Himself, so to speak. The life of His own Son. To sacrifice in that monumental way, his own son, in order to deliver us from that place of deadly condemnation and to bring us into this place of safety and light, to be transferred from the dominion of sin to the dominion of Jesus Christ, the dominion of that which would destroy us to the dominion of the one who gave his life for us. That's the new world we live in. And no matter what happens to us in this world, we are in the stream and we will get to our Father. And nothing can stop that. At the end of Romans 8, nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And he lists everything that could do it, you know. Nothing will separate us. We are joined to the resurrected one, the Lord, for whom sin and death has no hold. And now we're joined to him and his life comes to us. That's our condition. That's the new world that we live in, even in the midst of this world. Now, there's a little taste of that remaining understanding of where we are in verse 12 when he says, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. We don't have our resurrection bodies yet. We're in our mortal bodies. We will yet die unless Jesus comes before that. We live in this world. We struggle in this world. We, as we'll get to in verses 12 through 14 especially, but verse 11 says, consider yourself dead to sin. We live on the outpost, on the front lines, where we are under constant attack from sin. Constant. 
We're not insulated in that way. And so the warfare, based on the reality of our new life in Christ, based on the reality of living out His resurrection, is nonetheless a a deadly struggle. And so he says uh, in verse 11, uh, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And I've, I've said it this way there on point number three, our believing recognition of our union with Christ. It's a recognition, a believing recognition of our union with Christ. And you see the way he... Uh, built his argument because in verse 9 he says, verses 9 and 10, Jesus is raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. He died to sin. He now lives to God. You are dead to sin. You're alive to God. His history is now your history lived out in this world right now. He's dead to sin and alive to God. You consider yourself joined to his death to sin and being alive to God so that it begins to have its effect in your life so that you die to sin and you live to God. So we can say, I am dead to the lordship and the rule of sin and death. Charles Hodge, writing in the 19th century, says, This is a consoling word to the believer. A consoling word. Because we, because of habits of sin in our lives, because of constant failure in sin, because of the frustration and the guilt of it, and the sense that we, we feel as believers even many times, I'm just owned by this sin. I'm just, I'm just governed by this sin. I can't stop it. I can't stop my anger problem. I can't stop my lust problem. I can't stop this jealousy that eats at me. I can't stop these things in my life. And this is a consoling word to you that as you entrust yourself to Jesus Christ, you have a life that is set free. Not immediately, not absolutely, not perfectly, but sin, as he says in verse 14, sin will not have dominion over you. Some people think that's ultimate future, it will not have dominion, but they say that means as a way of hope, as we're talking about that stream that goes across, you will finally completely get to the other side and be completely free. And it begins now. And it's a present imperative. In other words, you, you're commanded to consider, okay? But it's, it's a present. Constantly, constantly, constantly consider. And really the word means judge. It, it's, it's not just mind over matter, you know. It's not just to, uh, to regard oneself or to think if it was as though it were true. But judge, your, judge this to be the case. You're to see that this salvation event in Christ is binding on you. I like that phrase. His death and resurrection has laid hold of me. It's binding on me. I judge this to be the case. It is the case. And I believe it and will act it out, live it out. So our judgment is based on what is true by virtue of being joined to Christ. It's based on the gospel. 
Cranfield calls it a deliberate and sober judgment on the basis of the gospel. Deliberate, sober judgment. This is the case with me. Praise God that it is so. Now imagine day in and day out for you to rehearse this truth and begin to bring the particular sins of your life and begin to say, I, this sin will not have dominion over me. I no longer have to call this sin Lord as I have, but Jesus is my Lord. It's a different way to look at things. And Paul makes it paramount. You must, you must keep judging yourself dead to sin and alive to God. It's a settled determination to live in the light of Christ's death and in the strength of this power that has already defeated sin's reign. So we can share in this once-for-all result of Christ's death. We can, in this life, begin to benefit from this decisive act of Christ through death and resurrection to keep our perspective clear, to live as those who are dead and alive. So there is indeed in in Scripture, it talks about our trying to be like Christ and imitate Him, and we don't want to take away from that. But there's this conscious awareness of being united to Him, a dependence and a confidence and an expectation that His resurrection life is mine. And I am transferred under new management, new lordship. And part of what this does is gives you, it gives you hope. It gives you energy. It, it enables you to throw yourself into the warfare. It's the same way Paul argues at the end of 1 Corinthians 15 when he talks about the resurrection. And after talking about that day when Jesus will come and will be completely changed... Then he ends by saying, Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He, He argues from resurrection to say, Therefore, be at it. You are on the side of grace. You are under His Lordship. Nothing is vain for you anymore. I think many times we're like, guys who are arm wrestling and sometimes they're just at this point and if they knew how weak the other guy was they just keep on struggling you know even though the burning is so bad they think they're going to die they just keep on struggling but many times you just give up because you're just so tired and I think that's us many 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 times the enemy loves despair he loves despair It makes us weak. It it makes us not bold. It makes us hopeless. And Paul says, you consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. And, And right after that, therefore, don't let sin be your Lord. Don't let any sin be your Lord. That's not who you are anymore. And it's interesting, it doesn't say die in this text 
it says, receive the gift of his dying. We receive the gift of his dying and we're drawn into it by his grace. We're drawn into his death and resurrection. We take it seriously. We make this gift become something that we participate in because we take it seriously. We pray, we trust, we acknowledge it. And so this being dead to sin means I'm lost to sin. (laughs) I'm not sins anymore. I'm living in relation to sin as though it has me no longer. And he's not talking here about sinlessness, you know, that you consider yourself dead to sin or sin will not have dominion over you. It's just talking about this new sphere that you and I live in. John Murray says this newness of life, which he says we're alive to God, it's as abiding as the resurrection of Christ itself. This new life that we have depends on this abiding resurrection of Christ, this glorious life. And so the life of the Christian on earth is already participating in the life of Christ that is in glory. And that's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 3, as we look to him, we are being transformed from glory to glory into his image. There is grace, there is power from God that is transforming us here. And we share in the vitality of His life in glory. And as he says in this last phrase, in Christ Jesus, it's only in union with Christ, right? Being dead to sin and alive to God is only because we are joined to Him. Joined to the one who himself died to sin and is alive to God. He's our virtue. And it's the same kind of thing as when you think of being accepted by God. The reason you're accepted by God is you've been joined to Christ. God sees you in Christ. And you think, does he accept him? Does he look with favor upon his own son? He must look with favor upon me. I'm joined to him. I'm associated with him. And then in this way, It's not only acceptance and favor, but God pouring out His grace, His changing power into my life through my union with Christ. Now, this will show itself, for instance, in decisions that you make. I I see sin in two basic categories in my life. One is when you're faced with some kind of decision. You're either going to look at something or not. You're either think about something or not. Or you're going to do something or not. And you know you've got a decision ahead of you of how you're going to deal with this issue in front of you. Are you going to open your mouth and gossip about that person or not? Are you going to pray today or not? Are you going to meditate in His Word or not? Are you going to view that illicit material or not. And that's when we have to come we have to keep this passage before us and say I am dead to all that attracts me about this gossip. I do not have to submit to the lordship of gossip again. 
Lord, I trust you. I depend upon you through my union with you, through your grace and resurrection. Oh, Lord, enable me to live a new life today. Enable me to live out a life of prayer that I've never been able to live before. Your lack of prayer, my lack of prayer. So much of it is that we're making sin our Lord instead of living out the resurrection life of Christ. Other things like coveting, like revenge, like vain daydreams. You can decide, Lord, I will die to this sin because it no longer rules me. I have given in to it for years, but Lord, that is not the sphere I live in anymore. I can live in a new sphere. Now, other sins just seem to come upon you. You erupt in anger, you know, and you didn't, it wasn't calculated. It's just, doesn't mean it wasn't sin. It just happens, you know. You just fall into jealousy. You just have hardness of heart in worship. And you didn't come thinking, I'm just going to be hard-hearted in worship. I'm not going to feel anything when I sing today. I'm, I'm, I'm going to wander in my mind during most of the sermon today and, and the prayers. I'm just not going to concentrate. And it just happened. You see, in those areas, as we see our sin, then we bring those before God, admit our helplessness and our weakness, and we say, Oh, Lord God, I don't have to live that way ultimately. Your life means that I do not have to be governed by this anger that has ruled me my whole life. This controlling attitude that has ruled me. This jealousy that has ruled me. This lust that has ruled me. This lack of reaction to the things of Christ that seems to rule me. It means even in, the, in loss and loneliness and tragedy and terrible mistakes we leave. These do not have to rule your life. You're ruled by the Lord. You're ruled by Christ Himself. I wanted to... Would you turn in your hymnals to hymn 168? And I'll close with this. You see, this is, this is the larger theological structure for the simple concept in John 15 where Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. If you don't... You can do nothing apart from me. And this is accomplished through the resurrection. It's by being joined to what he has done. And I just want you to look at verses 2 and 3 of hymn 168. And how these point to our enjoying the life of Christ. Thou art the king of mercy and of grace. Reigning omnipotent in every place. That's vital. He is Lord. Nothing can hold him back. So come, O King, and our whole being sway. Shine on us with the light of thy pure day. See, that's, that's asking for the resurrection to burst in on our life and to feed our life and supply us. Shine on us with the light of thy pure day. The pure day is the resurrection world that he has opened up. And then verse 3. Thou art the life by which alone we live. And all our substance and our strength receive. Oh, comfort us in death's approaching hour. Strong hearted then to face it by thy power. And then the fourth verse 
Notice in the last part of that line. Well, he begins, you have the true and perfect gentleness. No harshness hast thou and no bitterness. Make us to taste the sweet grace found in thee. You see, the virtue of the resurrected one with all supply in life that we have need of. So I urge you to pray with confidence and expectation and to constantly keep these things before you and to ask the Lord to enable you to live out in reality that you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. O Lord, we praise your great name that you entered into our situation fully, completely, Dying our death, bearing our punishment, passing through death into resurrection life as the first fruits. No, Lord, we now by faith can, can participate. We can be joined to you and joined to the new life that you have opened up. Lord, forgive us that we have lived in unbelief, that we have lived in willful ignorance, that we have lived with excuses, that we have lived and played with sin and toyed with sin, that, Lord, we have lived in despair and that we have been unable to trust you for what you would do in our lives. May we, Lord, rest in the great gulf stream of your resurrection life. And may it carry us as we relentlessly give ourselves up to you, to your lordship and to the new life that you constantly will open up to us. Oh Lord, may we be as helpless as the blind man. Son of David, have mercy on me. And may we recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. But as we abide in you, as we look to your glorious death and resurrection, that we will bear much fruit. Oh, Lord, may we honor you, trusting you as our Lord, giving ourselves to you as Lord and and not to sin as our former Lord. May it not be, Lord. Thank you for setting us free. Cause us to trust in you. For your name's sake we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times directions to the church and to subscribe to this podcast our web address is fortworthpca.org fort worth presbyterian is a part of the presbyterian church in america jesus my lord my life my light oh come with blissful rain Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?